Welcome to episode number 156 of the God Stuff Podcast, where we go bigger, better, and deeper. A bigger impact for Christ in the gospel, a better understanding of scripture, how to interpret, use, and apply it, and a deeper walk with God. Today, we're going again, bigger and deeper, I think. We're talking about a missionary. And I have to say, this is my, I've had problems recording this podcast. I have to start over. It's really kind of demoralizing to work on a podcast and realize the audio isn't recording, but that's on me. And here we go. So in today's episode, we're picking up a story we started in the previous episode. So if you haven't listened to episode 155, you really need to start there. So stop this one, go back, catch up with 155. That is part one of the story of a missionary. His name is George Grenfell, G-R-E-N-F-E-L-L. I just think one of the most remarkable stories in the history of the church, very inspiring. And I mentioned last time how I was reading this little book called Giants of the Missionary Trail, which was written in the, I think, 1954. And one of the chapters introduced me to a missionary I'd never heard of, and his name was George Grenfell. And I was so enamored and just loved the story so much that I hunted around for more resources on this missionary, and I found this incredible biography, The Life of George Grenfell, Congo Missionary and Explorer with Portrait and Illustrations. This biography was written in 1909 because he had such a remarkable impact. Uh, the book is loaded with these really antique and I think historic photos of what missionary life was like and really what African culture was like. In that period, there's a, uh, let me see if I could pull this out. There's a fold out. Is it blank? Must have been something there. Anyway, it's loaded with pictures that I think are historic and really should be gathered and saved of the tribal cultures of the mid 1800s in Africa. Every other page has these. Anyway, I, I ordered this. I found it on a bookseller in, in England and ordered the book and brought it here. And I've read it and it's just powerful and remarkable. So I want to tell his story. It will inspire you. It will fire you up. It will humble you. All these biographies humble me. And I'm going to share the sermon I preached on him about 20 years ago almost. So um, you'll see my notes on the screen. I'm also going to back up a little bit. And there'll be a, about a five-minute overlap between where I left off last time and where I'm picking up today. Because what happened was this missionary goes to Africa. And at that time, so we're talking 1849, 1850s. Missionaries were bringing the gospel to Africa, but Africa was an unknown continent, and it had not been mapped out. Um, the shoreline had of the whole continent, but the interior of the continent was not mapped out. The only missionary who'd been there so far was David Livingston, and he made the most complete maps to date so that future missionaries could bring the gospel there. But in the area where Grenfell went, there were no maps, and there was no way of getting to the interior of this massive continent with the gospel. So, as we saw last time, he prayed and the Lord provided a boat and they made a steamship and they made it in England, in London. And George was there to assemble its construction and they tested it on the Thames River in London. So, they're running this steamship up and down the river in London and making sure everything works right and it does. So, now they take it apart they put it in a thousand boxes. Each box had a waterproof cover of canvas. Each box was meticulously labeled. They had a catalog of all the boxes. They were all numbered. And in what sequence to take this apart? A thousand parts, a thousand boxes of parts to make a steamship 
and ship it back to Africa, which they did. And so there you go. That's the story. I'm going to pick it up there. And what did they do when they get back to Africa with this steamship? Part two of the story of missionary George Grenfell. This is coming to you from Veritas School of Biblical Ministry, which is my school, to equip champions of grace and truth. We need you more than ever before in a culture of pain and confusion. And if you really want to step up, if you want to end your boring Christian life, if you want to end your mediocre Christian life, get into Veritas because I think you're going to be challenged spiritually and in terms of your Bible knowledge. But I also think you're going to be equipped to really make a difference for Christ and the gospel. That's what we're all about. And that's why I'm going to tell you part two now of the story of missionary explorer George Grenfell. Here we go. Welcome to the God Stuff Podcast with Bill Giovanetti, the home of grace-powered living. Because grace isn't an app, it's an operating system. Here's Bill. Okay, so if this part of the story sounds familiar, it's because I'm backing up a little bit and there'll be some overlap in the story. So Grenfell goes to London, builds this ship. It's called the BMS, British Missionary Society Peace. The ship was 70 feet long, 14 feet wide. It drew only 12 inches of water, meaning it only sunk into the water 12 inches so it could run in very narrow, very shallow canals powered by a wood-burning steam engine. And they test this thing in London. It works fine. They disassemble it. They put it in wooden boxes that have a canvas waterproof lining, a thousand boxes, and each one is numbered and cataloged. And they ship it all back from England via ship back to Africa. And now it's time to get this ship above all the waterfalls and all the rapids and all the downhill slope to what is called the Congo River Basin, because this river basin and watershed provides access to most of the interior part of the whole continent of Africa. And really, the gospel has never been effectively brought here. Livingston did it when he was walking around the continent, but now they would have a ship that they could steam around. It wasn't big. It was 70 feet by 14. It's about the size of a motorhome. But they had a ship they could steam around and bring the gospel to millions of people who never heard. Upon landing in Africa, Grenfell enlisted over a thousand porters to begin the long trap above the rapids of the Congo. The first stage was a five weeks march just to get to the mouth of the river. Then they had a 110 mile voyage upstream that river, 110 miles in canoes. Following that, they had three stages now of carrying the boxes, still going up, 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 60 miles, stage one, 70 miles, stage two, then 100 miles above the last of the waterfalls. At times, the caravan stretched over a mile long through ravines so deep they had to use ropes and pulleys to get these boxes up these ravines. They braved high, narrow passes, rushing tributaries, constant danger from wild animals, constant danger from hostile natives. It was a monumental undertaking. But George Grenfell believed that God could do the impossible. And finally, the ship, the BMS Peace, was delivered upstream above the last of the falls on the Congo. The trip was not without its costs, and we already talked about that. But now, we begin with the second phase of the missionary journeys of George Grenfell. George began the second phase of his missionary service. He steamed up the Congo River, preaching the gospel, dispensing medicine, planting churches, drawing maps, and establishing missionary bases its entire length. Along the way, he fought the slave trade. He fought the Belgian government's 
oppression of this land. The missionaries, you should understand that it was Western missionaries, mostly from England, who resisted the colonial impulses of other European nations because they saw the horrors of the slave trade and they saw the uh, cruelty and barbarism that the Europeans were imposing on Africa. And it was missionaries who fought this. To understand the scope of this mission, you have to understand how big the territory is. So the Congo River and all the tributaries that this ship could sail on, if the Congo River were in Europe, it would flow all the way from Spain to Moscow. Okay, this is a vast stretch of water. And until George Grenfell, this vast stretch of water and land was unmapped and unevangelized. So the work that this one man did was absolutely staggering. Mechanic, engineer, preacher. Grenfell was undaunted in his work. He wrote to an old friend, if you saw me sometimes after my engine work, you would think there was a small relation between the present Gigi and the old one that you knew. Not much like an eminent divine, I can assure you. It's a rough sort of work, but it suits me very well. Now, in a time when even missionaries were expected to dress in suits and behave like proper British gentlemen, Grenfell writes this. He said, you must not make my letter public property. People would think I'm going crazy and hold up their hands in pious horror. They said, look, it would not be much use for me to turn out in a suit every day, pink shirts minus several buttons, sailcloth unmentionable, with a jackknife in a sheath so as to always be handy, a pair of shoes well ventilated, and socks that are a perfect puzzle when I wear them, and often no socks at all. Good boots are a mistake. The water on our beaches spoils them in a day or two. I have a favorite old pair, which, by the way, are not a pair. For one is buttoned, minus the buttons, and the other is a lace, tied at the time I write it with a bit of bush grass. Unless I want one shoe off and one shoe on, this is about the style of my working rig. So he is not fitting the mold of a typical missionary. He is doing what he has to do, and it's a mess, and it's great. Grenfell recognized that proper British gentlemen could neither steam up the Congo nor win Africans to Christ. If you want to lead someone to Christ, you have to eliminate all the artificial barriers so that the only barrier between them and God is the gospel. Don't make it music. Don't make it your attire. Don't make it anything, your language, anything. If they're going to reject Christ, let it be because they reject the gospel. Now, imagine how primitive tribes reacted when they first saw a steamship coming up the river. Most of the tribes attacked first and asked questions later. The peace, that's the name of the ship, was pockmarked with holes from spears and arrows. Many times, Grenfell and his small crew took cover inside the ship as they simultaneously avoided attacking canoes and shouted out their intentions to marauding natives. Of the natives, George Grenfell wrote this, quote, How much this part of Africa stands in need of help, I cannot tell you. Words seem utterly inadequate. Cruelty, sin, and slavery seem to be as millstones around the necks of the people, dragging them down into a sea of sorrows. Never have I felt more sympathy than now for these poor brethren of ours, and never have I prayed more earnestly than now that God may speedily make manifest to them that light, which is the light of life, even Jesus Christ, our living Lord. And I want to add here, and he's bearing this out, it's an absolute myth that primitive tribes are happy and peaceful without Christ, and that missionaries should leave them alone with their native religions. And I had a whole podcast on this. It's, I didn't make this term up. It's called the myth of the happy savage. It's, I didn't make it up, but it's not true. Grenfell knew that without Christ, without salvation, no one could be truly happy. 
The truth is that these tribes lived in constant fear, fear of angry gods, fear of storms, fear of disease, fear of neighboring tribes, and fear of slavery, fear of being cannibalized, fear of human sacrifice. It was common practice to bury alive unwanted slaves. It was common practice for chiefs to commit unspeakable acts of torture upon suspected criminals. Grenfell fought all of it with the most powerful weapon the world has ever known, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Of these precious people, many did see the light, and Grenfell was privileged to plant churches up and down the length of the Congo in the interior of Africa. But the price of his ministry was enormous. By 1887, six missionary colleagues died within seven months. In his second marriage, George suffered the loss of his next two children. Their graves marked the progress of his little ship. The Baptist Missionary Society wanted to discontinue efforts in this deadly region, and they called George home. But Grenfell Wood in Stanford, he wrote, We must either advance or retreat. If you retreat, you cannot count on me. Amazing words. How many Christians today would say that you can count on me for anything except retreat? Wow. Grenfell made two more trips from Africa back to England. There he raised the consciousness of believers toward African missions. He also built two more steamships to travel up the Congo and to transfer to other river systems. On one of his return trips, he was presented with scientific awards for his maps and for his geographical discoveries. He wore his gold medal to a reception. He said, feeling like a fish out of water. An old friend asked George how he felt with his reward. He replied, I feel like a barn door with a brass knocker. George cared nothing for decorations and awards. He only wanted to return to his work in Africa. George's ability to stick to his task paid off. By 1902, he could write, Our church services are crowded as they have never been before. Some are beginning to talk of a larger chapel. God's Spirit is manifestly working among the people. We are all compelled to allow that it is not our doing what God's doing. Up and down the river, the tribes came to know of the white man who traveled with news about Jesus and the Supreme God. Again, Grenfell paid dearly. Another of his children died. He buried her alongside the river. His second wife died, and he buried her too. A line of grave markers stands beside the Congo River to mark the sacrifice and devotion of George Grenfell to the gospel. And I love this, okay? On one of his voyages, after landing at the foot of a cliff, Grenfell was awestruck when he suddenly heard natives singing, All Hail the Power of Jesus' Name. The natives were paddling in canoes upstream. They didn't know Grenfell was there. And as they were paddling, they were singing, and their voices reached his ears. All hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate, fall, bring forth a royal diadem and crown him, Lord of all. Let every kindred, every tribe on this terrestrial ball, to him all majesty ascribe and crown him, Lord of all. Can you just imagine that moment? Can you imagine the joy and the satisfaction that filled his heart? It was worth it all. 20 years earlier, he had landed at the foot of the same cliff, only to be driven off with spears. Now, the tribe had its own church with their own teacher, and there they are praising the name of Jesus and going out themselves to bring the good news of everlasting life to regions formerly without hope. It was worth it. Jesus' name was firmly rooted in Africa because of one man. One man of faith. In his last months, Grenfell penetrated Africa farther than ever before. With joy, he planted his last church. He established his final missionary station. His beloved ship, the BMS Peace, had served him well. But even more, his beloved Savior had served him best of all and never let him down. 
Over the years, George made many friends of the Africans. Many were saved. Some of those chose to become missionaries alongside him. They called him Tata, which is their word for father. In June of 1906, Grenfell became ill. Years of fevers, years of warfare had taken their toll. He was dreadfully ill. He never complained. And he wrote during this time, God has been specially good to me through it all and has shown me many new things out of his truth and more and more concerning his wondrous far-reaching love. But he knew he was dying. Surrounded by his faithful African friends and co-workers, George asked to sail downstream. Grenfell's last words were, Jesus is mine, God is mine. It is fitting that African hands buried him. His African secretary, by the name of Baluti, wrote, Then we sang another hymn. Last of all, we closed the grave and replaced the earth. And so the death of Tata is finished. So one more grave marker stands even today in the depths of Africa, a simple cross with the words, George Grenfell. It's a name most of us would ignore, but it's a name that commands the full attention of heaven. The death of George Grenfell was finished, but not his life. Thanks for listening to the God Stuff Podcast. Find out more at godstuff.tv.